when, when we are a fertilized egg in our mother's womb and we develop into an embryo and, and then a fetus, those are stem cells dividing and creating us. And as we are born and then grow into the adult age, most of those stem cells have done their job, but we do retain a bank of them, a reserve, and that reserve is used to continuously renew us. Welcome everyone to another episode of Executive Health and Life. I'm your host, Julian Hayes II, back at it again with my favorite saying, another fascinating guest because everyone's fascinating that I um, reach out to or get connected to. So today we are talking about a topic that nearly all of us have heard about, but most likely we don't know much about or we've been severely misinformed. I know I was. And that topic is stem cells. And in the bigger picture, this thing called regenerative medicine. It sounds maybe like Wolverine or something regenerating, right? And we're looking at this through the lens of how it's going to benefit not only our performance, not only our longevity, our health and fitness, and our everyday goals in life, whether we're running our companies, whether we are building a company, or whether we are an entrepreneur inside the company. So as someone who had a brief residence, tried to play a doctor for a year, didn't decide to leave, I quickly learned, though, during that time, though, that people are very quick to push for surgery and to cut someone. And that always interested me. And so, and I thought, what if we could support our bodies? What if we could assist it in the rejuvenation process? What if we could offer relief without surgery and not that not being the first thing? Because that's a pretty traumatic experience. So all of these things is what my guest today, Dr. Jeffrey Gross, is here to discuss today. Now, he's a board certified and fellowship trained neurosurgeon. He's the owner of Spine and a regenerative medicine practice called Recelebrate. Now, he's not only recognized as an international expert in neurosurgery, but he's also recognized for stem cell medicine and regenerative medicine as a whole. He has a crazy amount of awards, recognition, and authored many chapters. And if I kept reading these, then we wouldn't have any time for our actual discussion. So without further ado, Dr. Gross, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for that. It's great to be here. Thank you. I'm doing great. How about you? Man, I'm doing super fantastic. This is one of the favorite parts of my day where I just get to have a conversation and and learn. And hopefully, you know, the people listening, the people watching in the future, they are going to get something out of this as well, because this is part of the new health and medicine movement that's coming up. And this is a topic that is has so much misconfusion around it because there's so many different regulations and different things that we've heard and we'll get into that. But before, I always like to time travel back and learn, if we ran into the, the Dr. Jeff that's 11 years old, would, we, would, would it make sense for who you turn out to be today? Uh, largely, yes. I mean, I, I was already on a path. I knew I wanted to be a doctor and, and at, at 11, you know, I was, Maybe that's a little early, but I was taking the classes in, in high school, at least that that, you know, all as many science classes as I could. And, you know, I had I would I would get uh, books on microsurgery and things that really interested me. So mm -hmm. uh, I really I really think that I was headed here no matter no matter what obstacles were in my way. Yeah, I am always fascinated by people who know so early what to do. My interest in, in health and medicine was, I was such a late bloomer with it. And all I could think about was playing basketball. And and I, I was pretty good at it, but I couldn't think of anything else. So I, I'm a, 
it's, it's always interesting how some people catch something that they really want to do later in life, whereas others they know from an early start. Do you think it was your environment or was it just something that you can't even explain that that attracted you? I, I think it's some nature, some nurture. I, I think that there were there were influences and uh, as well, it, it helped me with my own innate ones that just flourished. Mm -hmm. So as a board certified and um, fellowship trained neurosurgeon, I have to, I'm, I'm curious, what, what made you choose that specialty out of so many others? Well, when I was, uh, you know, getting ready to go to college, I, I knew the biological sciences were, you know, fantastic. And there was something about the nervous system being sort of the final frontier. You know, we just, there's so much we didn't know about the brain and still so much we don't know about the brain when you compare them, compare the brain and the nervous system to other, uh, you know, organ systems. So that that was intriguing. It was the unknown. It was like the final frontier, Star Trek-y uh, type mm -hmm. of thing, you know, uh, if I can go ahead and uh, show my nerd badge here, you know, um, but, uh, you know, so I knew I knew that 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 the nervous system, but I also like the hands on, you know, when you go into medicine, there are those that are thinkers and those that are doers and the thinkers are usually more on the internal medicine side of things. Right. They like to help figure out a problem and and, uh, you know, give advice or medications. They're not actually doing a lot of procedures. But, you know, a, a surgeon can actually get in there and, and, you know, stop the bleeding or, you know, fix something or remove something that's, that's causing trouble. So I like that ability to act, you know, concretely. So I think I fell into the surgical role following the nervous system. And those came back together in neurosurgery. Mm -hmm. I can relate to that. Um, there's a little more action when, you, when, you, when you're some type of surgeon and that that um, that makes it a little more exciting, at least in my opinion. Um, I, I just I just didn't want to be the person that's just talking all day and, and, and that's it. No, no offense. We need that out there, but that's just not really yeah. my personality. So um, so what what happened with the because um, these are they're similar. I can see how they're similar, but they're different. So how do you stumble and get into this world of regenerative medicine and then the stem cells? Well, um, so my my undergraduate background is is in cell biology, you know, biochemistry, molecular cell biology. And then you get whisked off to med school and residency and you sort of leave most of that behind, even though it was very interesting and fun and, and uh, a great pursuit at the time. And, and during my career of being a neurosurgeon, uh, I, I, uh, I, I watched the whole development in research in stem cells happen, but there was no application for me. You know, um, unfortunately, we watched what happened to Christopher Reeves, but he did, uh, you know, spur a lot of the initial funding and research for stem cells. Um, so those were not immediately applicable in the late 80s and early 90s when I was in medical school. Uh, but what happened was this, uh, I, you know, I became a neurosurgeon and I uh, did a spine fellowship and I mainly treated patients with neck and back problems for, and I still do for 20 some years. And, you know, a lot of uh, there, there's a certain uh, basic hierarchy of treatment for people with neck and back trouble. Right. You start out with the, what we call the, the non-invasive treatments, therapy, anti-inflammatories, maybe time, maybe mm -hmm. some other modalities, chiropractic, massage, what have you. And if and those work a, a great many times. And if that doesn't work, then we usually go to pain management. Let's try some injections, you know. 
we send to a specialist, hey, let's try this specific epidural injection or something to help you know, knock down the inflammation and knock down the pain. Uh, and that can also help those people who need it. But then there, there are a number of patients, usually a smaller percentage, who those two treatments just wasn't enough, right? And those people still have ongoing limitations and pain and problems. And that's usually when I get to see them. And when I see them, uh, they say, these things haven't worked. What's next? I say, well, we sh surgery is the last thing on the list. Let's talk about it. There are options. But a lot of people, and smartly so, said to me, well, you know, I'm, I've got these ongoing problems. The injections, the therapies didn't work, but I'm just not ready for surgery. Mm -hmm. And they'd say, hey, doc, what about this? What about this? What about stem cells? And I listened and I listened and enough times. I finally said, you know, we need some additional treatment tools before surgery, right? There's this big gap from injections to surgery. Surgery can be, can be very big and complex, right? Putting in metal screws and rods. I mean, we're, that's, we don't want to do that if you, if there's another option. Okay. So in, instead of going to the annual neurosurgery meetings where we hear the same thing over and over again, I started going to regenerative medicine meetings, stem cell meetings. I started to do education in the area. I started to read. I started to research. I started to write. And that ha I did it to help add a tool to my toolbox for patients, but it's blossomed well beyond that at this time. Yeah. So, you know, I hear curiosity. There's curiosity and you, you didn't just rest on your existing knowledge, you know, and you, and you kind of question what if, you, you know, you, you didn't get dogmatic in what you knew and then sticking with that and not <laughs> considering anything else outside that view. I think that's fair, but I'd give credit to my patients who finally, you know, you know, kept battering me with the, hey, what about stem cells? What about stem cells? I mean, well, it's, you know, it's a, that's a great area of research. And, you know, it's fair to say, it's fair to say at that time, I don't know, you know, I just don't know what's the latest, but you know what, I'm done. I'm done hearing about it. I'm going to go find out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And before we, we get into stem cells, one last question here is what would you say when we're talking about, um, somebody hears conventional medicine and somebody hears regenerative medicine, how would you explain that to them? What's what's the big differences to you? Well, I mean, conventional medicine, at least in the Western world, is is sick care, right? It's, it, hey, doctor, I have a problem. And then the doctor is supposed to give options as to the treatment. And often in Western medicine, that is a pharmaceutical uh, or a surgery. Um, and... That that seems to be what is conventional. It's 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 dealing with some problem that's already happened. Okay, and so now let's go into stem cells. And I guess probably a good first place to start is to we've heard this word, but like, what exactly are stem cells? Well, stem cells are the very cells that created us in the first place. They it's from which we stem. Um, so, or if you think maybe uh, if you want to grow, um, you take a little uh, sample off of a tree, a little sapling, and you can replant that, it becomes the stem. Uh, so when, when we are a fertilized egg in our mother's womb and we develop into an embryo and, and then a fetus, those are stem cells dividing and creating us. And as we are born and then grow into the adult, age, most of those stem cells have done their job, but we do retain a bank of them 
a reserve and that reserve is used to continuously renew us. You think about skin cells that, you know, we are continuously producing or hair cells or nail cells, but we also regenerate our liver and other organs. But also if we have an acute injury or need to heal something, we tap into those stem cells. And, and we as humans do it just kind of okay. And the older we get, the less effective those stem cells are. They also can become senescent or zombie-like. Uh, some species do it way better. Like um, let's talk about certain lizards who can regenerate their tails or starfish that can regenerate an arm. And I don't know if you know this doc, but, but a child, a human child that's under five or six years of age, if you cut the tip of the finger accidentally um, further out than, or what we doctors say distal to, right? The last joint, um, they will regenerate that, but as, as they get older, they, we lose the ability to do that. We retain some of the genes and ability to tap into those genes with, with stem cell activities. Um, so stem cells are our chance to tap back into our own creation. We have the blueprint and um, it's within us. I go, I go down some crazy rabbit holes sometimes in, in, in health and, and, and what people think might be possible. Do you ever see a world where um, maybe it's not, it's not, maybe it's not exactly like the lizard, right? But like where we could um, kind of get some of these limbs back. Say someone loses a, a finger or, or something like that. And is there a process? Do you ever see where we can get that back? I do. There's a lot of good work in that combining uh, some genetic engineering um, to tapping, tap, tap, tap back into the genes that are turned off, turn them back on. Uh, and that with some extracellular matrix, which are a group of proteins that, that help uh, tissue development. You know, there, there's tissue engineering that's that I think is in the right direction for that type of, we'll call it uh, digit or limb regeneration. It's coming. That will, crazy to think about, but, but fascinating. And it does make sense because I think, I forgot who I had a conversation with recently is that I was learning that pretty much, basically each organ system in our body pretty much has its own set in terms of with the epigenome that's, that's going to communicate, right? And different parts of that kind of starts to not work as good, some sooner than, some sooner than others. Um, on that spectrum, if that makes sense, how early in terms of like the, the stem cells compared to maybe something like how quickly does that start to go? Whereas you hear like after 30 women start losing bone mass, right? Right. If, if they don't strength train, where is that on the spectrum with stem cells? How often, when does that really start to go down for us? Well, I mean, you, you heard the, the finger example, mm -hmm. we, we lose certain abilities, you know, within the first few years, but most, most, most adults in maintenance mode, um, as long as their hormones are optimized and they, the rest of their existence is optimized, we're talking sleep and breathing and nutrition and dieting, meaning when you eat, what you eat, uh, how you eat, uh, exercise, all these things. If you're optimized, um, then you know your stem cells should have a very slow uh, degeneration. They should work for many decades. Um, and then, you know, listen, you, you've seen two, two different people, both, let's call them 75 years old. One looks like an elderly person and one looks like an active younger person. And that's, that tells you how much chronic inflammation that person has been exposed to over that person's life, whether it's, 
you know, environmental stress, something in the food, electromagnetic waves, what have you, hard living, all mm -hmm. kinds of neuro stress. The, the person that appears and functions younger, uh, and this is why we do biological age tests, uh, and I know you've spoken about that before, that person that appears younger has a more active population of stem cells than someone who has not uh, been able to maintain them as well. Mm -hmm. And speaking of, of different types of stem cells, somebody may be wondering about this that they hear it. They're going to say um, there's embryonic, there's um, maybe there's adult stem cells induced pluripotent. Um, are all of these relevant in the regenerative medicine space or is there certain types of ones that are going to be used? Well, presently available, at least here in the U.S., uh, would be just, uh, you know, and the, the multipotent mesenchymal stem cells or MSCs. Um, and these are at the far end of the division tree of cells, of stem cells, that all they can do is become a tissue in our body. They just haven't had a final job assignment yet. Um, when you, when you mention the other kinds of cells, if you, if you find a way to work them backwards, regress them backwards, they're called induced. And those are not, uh, they're being researched, but they're not yet generally available. And those are induced pluripotent stem cells. You go from multipotent to pluripotent, they can do much more. And then you can go even backwards further to embryonic when you're an embryo. Those, those cells we can't control yet uh, as well. So so there's great research in that area. It's coming. Uh, my eyes are on it all the time. But what's what we're talking about for relevancy for applications presently, and probably for the next few years at least, uh, in the general setting would be just these multipotent MSCs or mesenchymal stem cells. Okay. And so pe people often travel to Mexico or different European countries, and, and I think a few in South America as well for stem cell yeah. treatments. And so somebody might be interested in hearing, okay, why, did, why, are they, why are they going outside the states here for something that's already in the states? Well, I think two reasons. First, um, the, the Europe and Asia and you know, Central and South America have uh, had uh, a more rapid and earlier access to these uh, biologics. Uh, regenerative biologics is the other phrase we use. Um, you know, America has been slow. Um, and then secondly, uh, the places outside the U.S. Uh, are not uh, under the regulation of the FDA. So they can make any claim that they want that they treat or cure a disease or condition. Um, and I and anything I say here today is for information or educational purpose. It's not to treat or cure an individual um, because we have to be very um, aware of the FDA regulations and um, the fact that none of these regenerative biologics uh, for the purposes we're applying them are uh, we are not allowed to make claims that they cure or treat anyone because the FDA says we cannot make those claims and they decide when we can say mm -hmm. or make a claim. Yes, um, I agree with that. This is just all for entertainment purposes. I'm not a physician. I'm just a guy who's curious. So, and I, I have that. I have that in my um, have that in my um, show notes as well, and all that. And so, I, and I think those kind of things just right there is why um, sometimes there's confusion because you know, for your instance, you are a, a board certified. You're a physician, right? And 
people will be confused. Why does why can he not even why does he have to say that? You know, if he's already a physician, why does he have to say that? And there's a lot of different red tapes and 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 rules and regulations that's that's set here. Um, so diving further into the the stem cells, I think a good point, another good thing to discuss is when we come harnessing our own stem cells for prolonged health. Like, how does that work? Well, there are lots of ways to do that, and we're doing it all the time if we're trying to behave in a healthy manner. So mm -hmm. exercise, yoga stimulates stem cell activity, uh, eating clean fruits and vegetables and, and eat your colors. I mean, that's uh, plants do also uh, help stimulate things, making sure you're on the right supplements, vitamins, probiotics, hormone optimization, all of these things uh, assist in um, stem cell activity. Hormesis is probably one of the best things one can do. And just for the audience, so they don't have to look it up. Hormesis <laughs> means a slight stress on your on yourself that builds resilience. So it's not a stress that fully damages you. It's, it's a little bit of a, a stress. For example, exercise, hot sauna, cold plunge, uh, fasting. Those are examples of hormesis. Mm -hmm. And when you were making the shift from more maybe say surgical minded to this more regenerative space um did you encounter any challenges or, well, any, or or even like any pushback from like maybe maybe peers or anything or like you know sometimes people if you if you do something a little different people might say what are you doing you're crazy or there's not enough research for this etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah i mean i i've encountered people who probably thought like i did before I opened my mind to it, to looking at stem cell medicine uh, as, a, as a tool, as an add-on tool uh, to my list of options. And now when I see someone, for example, with a spine problem, even though I do much more than spine now, when I see someone with a spine problem, um, it's one of the options I give them. Um, but yeah, my, a lot of my peers gets, you know, get stuck. You get trained to do what you were trained to do 20 years earlier by people who were trained to do it 20 years before them. And really spine surgery has not changed drastically in many decades. You know, we're still doing the same two surgeries, decompression or decompression and fusion. I mean, those are really 95% of the surgeries we do are those two things. Yeah, there's a new bell or whistle, a new implant or a new device, but it's the same approach. And I would think that like your knees and hips are probably what two of the main areas usually for people yes lots of needs mm -hmm. so what how how have the uh the results been with that and with the knees and hips because that that's probably the most you get or is it the spine uh no i mean i have a lot of spine patients because of, i've been a spine doctor for so long yeah. but, but i'm actually doing a lot of knees with the regenerative medicine i follow a protocol out of france from dr hernigau and they published two years ago on their 15-year follow-up. So they've been doing this a long time. And this is a really cool study, um, uh, Julian. They, they took people who were already offered uh, a necessitated knee replacement. They were bone on bone, or they were told they had arthritis, often called osteoarthritis, and they needed a knee replacement. And that's very common, right? Not just in France, here in the US. We hear it all the time. And they, they, they took some of those patients and said, hey, before you have the surgery, would you like to join our stem cell study? 
and uh, you know they had no problem signing up patients. And they took half of those patients and they injected the knee cartilage called the meniscus, right, the joint of the knee. And they took the other half and they injected the bone marrow just above and below the knee, below above and below the cartilage, just adjacent. And after 15 years, the bone injected group had still about 80 some percent of those patients didn't had had not needed that knee replacement that they had been recommended 15 years earlier. Whoa. Whereas the joint injected group uh, had a declining uh, save of the knee uh, and those it was down to the 20% still did not need the surgery. So they clearly demonstrated that the, the party is in the bone marrow. Our stem cells are in the bone marrow and to activate them, you need to attack them there. And that's been what we are doing here. We inject the bone. Wow, that's a that's a pretty big difference. <laughs> I, I wasn't different, expecting. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't expecting to hear that number. You know, so yeah. when you said that, I was I was kind of taken aback about that. You know, so s- sticking on this and 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 uh, a little bit with our with our bones and everything. Um, what do you see when when people are coming in with with the knee problems, the hip problems? I'll tell you. I'll give you an example. So, I am I do I've gotten into running a lot and lifting as well. And the common thing you hear. Oh, as you get older, your my knees gave out. But your knees are not going to be able to do this. I, I can't lift weights as much anymore, or I can't do this activity because of my knees, my hips. It's it's good. It's bad for your knees. All those things. Um, what do you what what do you actually see when it comes to that? Because I, I think that's a counterproductive assertion people make. Um, yeah, I mean, that, listen, people come in and they they use the phraseology that their parents and grandparents used, right? Uh, my back gave out. My knee gave out. Uh, I have lumbago or sciatica. They use these old words. Um, mm-hmm. But with modern medicine, we know a lot more about what's causing these problems. And we should use those phrases that help us best explain that. So if you have you know, degeneration of the knee because the cartilage is thinning, then you know, we know what to do. If, you ha- if you're lifting weights and it causes stress on the knee, then we just need to help your knee and because we like the lifting. The lifting is, is wonderful because, uh, uh, as you know, maintaining your muscles and bone density, those are your longevity organs. You mm-hmm. take care of them, they will take care of you. And think about it, your bone marrow is the main source, not the only, but the main source of, of stem cells in your body. And if you don't take care of your bone and its density, you're basically not taking care of your own bank of stem cells. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking, um, that so to a certain extent, as we are strength training and focusing on building lean muscle, which some people think I don't want to get too bulky and or too muscular. Trust me, um, if it was that easy, um, there would be a lot more people that are pretty jacked walking around. So that's the least of, of, of things that are going to happen. It takes a lot of work. Maybe those first few years are you'll get you'll get rapid progress. But then after that, it's very small gains after that. Now, um, so by improving our bone density, you are also improving the stem cell activity. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, that's another reason to think about why we should go work out, why we should focus on lean muscle mass, not just the scale weight, because, you know, and, and that's something that's not as discussed more when we think about it. We think about lifting weights. We think about it for aesthetic purposes, maybe. Sometimes people know that it is a longevity organ, but we don't know this part about the stem cells. So I think that's pretty cool. 
Right. I mean, you think about it, the body's designed to maintain itself for mm -hmm. the purpose of, of moving and other reasons. But if you're moving, if you're exercising as, as into your later ages, it will continue to do those maintenance activities. If you're a couch potato, it will not need those maintenance activities. It's the opposite of hormesis. It's anti-hormesis. <laughs> you, will, you will become unhealthy uh, quickly. It's, it's movement. And that's why sitting is, you know, the new smoking. And, and I'm a victim of it too. I sit at my desk. I, I meet with clients. I, you know, do my research. I do my writing. And uh, it's really important to, to move. Same thing here. It's, it's, it's just that you, if you add it up, you're, it's a shocking number because you're doing different Zooms. I do a lot of Zooms because uh, a lot of my stuff is virtual. And, or I go to the cafe and I'm just sitting. So I actually have a friend, um, a very good friend of mine, and he's really into movement and mobility. And so he actually, he can sit Indian style and work. He can sit like, he sits like on his knees. He's, he's uh, on his knees and he's just working that way. Or he can like squat, a deep squat and just work. It's the craziest thing ever. I thought he was just doing it just to, just to show off. But yeah. it's literally how he um, how he does his work a lot of times. It's it's the most fascinating I thing I ever saw. So yeah. <laughs> now a couple areas that that um, another uh, few areas I'm interested in is um, we have the distinction between PRP uh, stem cells and then exosomes. And so I would like to dive into all of those. So I think so we've been discussing the stem cells a little bit. So let's discuss the, um, the PRP. And so I think people are starting to hear this more and more. So let's, um, let's dive into that. Sure. So the, uh, we've been using the phrase stem cells here, uh, fairly liberally, mm -hmm. but really we're talking about stem cell based biologics and these are things our body makes um, that help regenerate you know tap back into our own ability to create new cells or, or even improve the health of the existing cells the very basic level is called prp or platelet-rich plasma and it's very common and it is also not approved for claims by the fda but it's ubiquitous you can get it almost anywhere most doctors, most orthopedic doctors will do it. And this is a process where they take um, a number of vials of blood uh, out of your vein. They spin the blood in the centrifuge, a little tabletop one uh, that you can have in the office. And blood separates by the weight and size of the cells. So the red cells separate from the plasma and the plasma is sort of the watery substance in the blood. But in between those two layers is a little bit of a of what we call the buffy coat. And in there is is this little area where you can grab some cells called the platelets, which is rich in growth factors. And these are proteins made by cells. And if you draw that area out of the test tubes and add it together, you have this concentrated uh, anti-inflammatory, pro-regenerative, you know, healing plus formula. And you can re-inject it into areas that may benefit from it, like a tendon injury or a tennis elbow. And it's got cosmetic uses too, uh, vampire facial, that's what you're getting, or it helps with fo uh, follicle growth for thinning hair. It's got some other uses as well. I know um, dental procedures and what have you. So that's the very basic level of concentrated growth factors. There are probably some stem cells and exosomes in there too. So with the, with the, with the PRPs, um, 
Is there a typical age that you see someone start to use those or is it just people with different goals? Like athletes will probably use it earlier, just maybe something to yeah. rehab in the off season. So it's all across the board, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I've seen it used as early as high school athletes. Um, and then mostly it's, you know, middle age people who have overdone it and injured themselves or, or something like that. Um, but it it's it's more ubiquitous now. It's, it's almost available in most places. And even though it's not approved for claims by the FDA, interestingly, most insurers will now cover it. Oh, that's Ironic, nice. Ironically. <laughs> that's nice. That actually gives me a, a side question, and I'll, and I'll come back to, to the next two here. Um, is there limitations between traditional health insurance and then a lot of these regenerative techniques? Because that's some of the questions sometimes I come um, that I'm posed with is, how come you recommend some of these labs but I go to my doctor and I can't get them because I'm not showing symptoms or, or, or need right. for it. Yeah. Right. So is it the same thing in the regenerative, all these techniques in the regenerative world? I think, I think so. It circles back to your, your earlier question, you know, about the difference between uh, what you called conventional care. And that's probably a kind word for it, but you know, I try, you know, to, be, yeah. I try, to, I try to be diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that about you. I'm going to learn. But the, the uh, you know, listen, if, the, if you're not sick, if you don't meet the criteria to have a certain test and the insurance company doesn't want to know mm -hmm. about it because then they got to pay for it. And they're in the business of making a profit. They're not going to make a profit uh, in that way. So you're right. Mm -hmm. So if somebody was interested in using PRP and this is this is totally different in it's this is a very, very high, 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 high level. Is this something where you have to do or it's ideal to do weekly, maybe monthly, quarterly? No, it depends on what you're addressing. Most people who have PRP is a localized uh, tendon or joint issue. Um, and it usually you go for two or three sessions. You can repeat it. Um, you know, it's 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 person specific. Okay. And so the next one is let's go into exosomes. I think exosomes are really cool. Um, not not too knowledgeable okay. of them yet, but from what I what I've heard and, and seen, I think it's really fascinating. So, um, what what are exosomes? Well, Julian, there there I would classify regenerative biologics in three categories. Okay. The lowest level is PRP, which we just covered. Mm -hmm. The next level is actually stem cells. Okay. And the third level would be stem cell derived exosomes. So um, if we jump ahead to exosomes, which is fine, these are small, not that cells aren't small, but these are even smaller particles that are made by cells. In this case, they're made by stem cells. And they are very small mini cells of sorts. They have a membrane. They don't have a lot of cell surface markers, uh, but they, they're chock full of growth factors and what I'll call the proteins of hormesis. Growth factors, heat shock proteins, primitive survival, anti-inflammatory, metabolic programming information where one cell communicates with its neighbors. <clears throat> Each stem cell can give off a thousand of these a day, let's say, and they're about one one thousandth the size of a cell. So cells are measured in diameter by microns. And for the nerds like me out there, that's <laughs> 10 to the minus six. And, and one one thousandth uh, is, is, a, is three, power, three powers of 10 
even smaller. So 10 to the minus nine are how you measure these extracellular vesicles or exosomes for short. And they're about 50 to 150 nanometers across. So sometimes we call them nanoparticles. And these were discovered uh, because uh, some some uh, researchers were, were tagging stem cells and found out that they don't last but 10 or 14 days in your system. But the benefits were longer reaching. They could last weeks or months or, or repair what they need to repair and be done. So they, they found out that the reason for that longer lasting uh, effect when the cells are, you know, dead and gone uh, ahead of time is because those cells are giving off these cell signaling group of particles, these exosomes. So you can jump ahead, forget, you skip ahead the middleman, the stem cell, and go right to the exosomes. And there are some benefits to exosomes. Um, I, they're not really head-to-head -head comparison with stem cells that's been done, but the exosomes are much smaller, so they travel further and better. They don't get hung up in the heart and lungs like stem cells do, which can be good for the heart and lungs, but mm -hmm. the rest of the body may need some. Um, they can pass the blood-brain barrier, which means they can get to the brain and the nervous system. Um, and I can give a more concentrated dose than I can of stem cells for half the cost. So I'm, I've been a fan of exosomes. Most of the work we do these days is with exosomes. Okay. And so I, I skipped I skipped a level. So I went to the first level, then we went to the third level. So the, the exosome sounds like the, the, the specialist. The, I mean, they're all specialists, but this is like, it sounds even more precise. And is that kind of the right way to think about it? Well, right now we're using sort of generic exosomes, but if I, if you'll let me tweak your question, I think you'll find it interesting. Okay. Are, are there specialized or designer exosomes? The answer is yes in research. Um, in fact, I've been doing a lot of reading recently about natural killer cells uh, derived exosomes for um, addressing, potentially addressing cancer. Mm -hmm. So um, that's not yet available, uh, but it's certainly interesting. And it's a great area of research that we could take our own immune cells called NK or natural killer cells. And it's been found that the exosomes from NK cells will uh, not harm normal tissue, but will identify and kill cancer cells. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Big wow. <laughs> That's a big wow. And uh, yes, thank you for rephrasing that. That's what I was getting at. And you worded it better with it with the question. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you read my mind with that. Okay, so let's. So as I mentioned, I skipped I went to the PRP. That's the first level we can think of. And then exosomes the third level. And so I skipped the second because I was excited to talk about exosomes. So <laughs> let's go too. back. Let's go back to the second. Well, stem cells are, you know, you, you uh, they're around us, you can you can get them. Um, there are two sources. They're your own stem cells. You can take them out of your bone marrow or other body areas like fat. I'm not a fan of fat derived stem cells because fat tissue is inflamed and I don't want a cell message being given off that says inflammation. We're, when, you look at, when you look at longevity and anti-aging, you're literally looking at slowing or removing uh, factors of chronic inflammation. And these regenerative medicine biologics like stem cells work to program cells against inflammation. They take them out of defense mode and put them into, you know, optimal functioning mode. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the exosomes do the same. 
So, so I'm not a big fan of fat drive stem cells. I'm also not a fan of uh, harvesting your own stem cells. One is because it's painful. Uh, and two is because when you change the oil in your car, Julian, you don't put the old oil back in, right? You, you, you put new clean oil, you want the young oil. So the other source of stem cells is from perinatal donation. And, uh, you know, some people think this is, you know, somehow not moral or ethical, but it's completely perfect. This is, these are mothers delivering their children by C-section, <clears throat> whether planned or not. And instead of throwing away, which we've done for many years, right? Throwing away the placenta, the umbilical cord, the amniotic fluid, it's collected. And with the mother's permission, uh, it is taken to an FDA compliant and certified lab, ironically, <laughs> and uh, it is tested and screened and made available uh, to user and users like me for my patients. So we we tend to prefer stem cells and exosomes from that type of donation and source, and we track it and we have lot numbers and it comes. You know, the exosomes come minus thirty degrees centigrade and the Stem cells come minus 80 degrees centigrade. So my my office now has many freezers. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so you got to wear sweaters a lot in there. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and this this pretty much answers my question, but in case somebody's thinking, so you said um, when we talked about the, the fat derived, right? What if someone's right. like, I'm super lean, I, I have a low body fat percentage, there's still probably always going to be even small levels of inflammation in that fat tissue, correct? You know, it's a good question. And then, you know, it breaks, it, it breaks into the idea of, you know, brown fat versus white fat. And, you know, is brown fat uh, healthier, um, you know, in terms of its inflammatory profile? And I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, there is work in using exosomes to help convert white fat to brown fat, but those exosomes are not fat derived. So um, interesting question. Uh, and I, I don't know the answer. Yeah. And, you know, that's the cool thing, because I think there's so many things we don't know yet. And there's so many things we're continuing to discover. So that's why I said with the, with the with this field, there's never going to be a point where everything's going to be an absolute because we're constantly learning new things. Um, some things we thought was the ideal way is not the ideal way, because um, I think this brown fat versus white um, white fat, it's a newer discussion that it's finally starting to creep up to the surface more when we think yeah. about it. Because at first, when we said just lose fat in general, now we're saying things like visceral fat, you know, right. brown fat. And um, so I'm going to go back to the exosome real quick. You mentioned heat shock proteins. And right. so I imagine the dose of heat shock proteins with the exosome is going to be in much greater concentration than you could get from the heat shock proteins just sitting in a sauna for like 15 to 20 minutes. <sighs> Well, I, I don't know that. I think that uh, if you if you were a, a routine sauna user mm -hmm. uh, and you did it you did it right and you've been doing it a long time, <clears throat> the the amount of heat shock proteins over time would be amazing, right? And and the what that does for your cells would be it would be fantastic. A single dose of of exosomes delivers a big single boost of heat shock proteins, which probably exceeds a sauna treatment. But over time, I don't know that that's uh, 
you know, when you, when you look at the area under the curve or how much you have over time, I don't know that that would be the winner. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a hard thing to measure anyway. Um, and so it's just things that pop up in my head randomly, just like you I love it. with the, um, using the perinatal fat, was that, is that involved ever just hypothetically in wound healing? I actually, I'm not aware of any use of, of perinatal fat, um, because I don't, I mean, uh, stem cell. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Stem cell. Uh, yeah, there, there's a, there's a, there's a growing use in wound healing. Um, you can, you can currently purchase amniotic, um, grafts, which are basically a little piece of amniotic, uh, membrane. That's what it was. I asked this because, um, but before my father passed a few years ago, before then he, uh, he's, he was diabetic, dialysis, um, had different amputations and, um, you know, you're starting to lose circulation down there and he was having trouble healing. And so, um, one of the things they did to help heal this wound on the side of his foot was to use that amniotic, um, graft. Yeah. And, um, when they explained to him, he was like, what? You want me to use what? And it, my mom was like the same way. And I was like, well, hold, hold on, listen, listen, right? I, I know you haven't heard of this, but I actually think this is actually good. And lo and behold, I think it took a few sessions and everything, but it actually really helped. And that was amazing to me because the blood flow down there was not good at all. And it, that helped heal. Now, granted, he, it took a lot of other things we did, but that was a big part of just healing that particular wound. Yeah, no, this is this is a big area. I know they have amniotic grafts for for uh, for um, the, the cornea, for the eye, for surgical wounds, for diabetic wounds. Uh, this this is a growing area, and it it is sort of an offshoot of regenerative medicine, or stem cell medicine, for sure. Yeah. So, and this is just off uh, off the shoot question. So, say someone's a um, say they're a biohacker, they're interested in it, right? How would they go about incorporating? you know, some of these stem cell therapies into their broader health optimization plan? Well, we see a lot of biohackers now, and I'm one of them as well. And um, the, these these are things where we would probably make sure you're fully optimized first, like you probably do with your clients, you know, um, across the board. And then uh, we love health metrics and biological age tests. Uh, I do glycan age and a lot of people, I look at their inflammatory markers, um, we would do um, hormone analysis. And then if um, they want additional gains, and we talk about um, you know, using exosomes and we do it IV, we do it different spot treatments and deliveries. We have lots of different things we're doing. And um, our, our biohacker crowd, like me, we, I tend to do the IV on a periodic basis. Mm-hmm. So um, let's go into, yeah, I would love to hear some of your routines. What, what, what does the man behind the, the operation do? What are some <laughs> of the things you do? Uh, well, I've experimented with rapamycin. I, I'll do eight weeks on, eight weeks off, uh, eight milligrams every Monday. Um, I have used different hormone optimization tools, including HGH. And uh, I'm very interested now in some of the bioregulators and peptides that have come about. Oh, man. I just had a great conversation with uh, Phil Mickens on 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 the bioregulators. And um, so so fascinating so fascinating this is neat stuff and these you look at these small bioregulars they're small peptides and um this these are really they they we're distilling everything down to the small peptides in our body that are driving uh you know what genes are active so whether it's heat shock proteins from exosomes or other growth factors from prp or bioregulators i mean we're we're all finally figuring out these this 
proteomics is kind of the 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 human uh, fuel. Um, so we do, I do that. I'm I'm I I, I do a plenty of anti-inflammatory supplements. I really try hard to uh, intermittent feed. I don't like to say intermittent fast because it's not yeah. really fast. Um, <laughs> I try to eat um, in the light window and not eat in the dark window. But I actually don't start except for black coffee. I don't start eating until uh, 11:30 or 12 every day and because I can't cut it off at six. We just keep going, you know, humans are probably designed to go to bed when the sun goes down and we just keep going, so. Yeah, I, that's an area that I'm still guilty of is going to bed, is going to bed. Because for some reason, I, I tend to get like a second wind or a third wind at night. And I, I don't like to stop if something's really coming to me. And, yeah. uh, and I just don't like to, to stop. So that's kind of like my, my area of, um, that I could probably work on. I, I agree with you there. Um, I'm into health metrics, so I've, I've got this right now. I just ordered a new uh, a new ring. Um, I track HRV. I track my sleep. Um, I'm a big fan of melatonin. If I could call out one mm-hmm. supplement, um, as, as adults, I think we don't produce enough melatonin, and it's not just to go to sleep. Um, we melatonin is the opposite of cortisol right cortisol wakes us up and lets us fight the day and then at at nighttime so that we hibernate and repair properly melatonin is the antidote to cortisol so um i i take uh 10 milligrams at night and man i sleep deeper and i dream and uh, i feel more rested and my HRV is higher when I take melatonin. I also take magnesium and mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of probiotics. So we could, we could talk about supplements all day long. I, yeah. I take at least 5,000 IUs of vitamin D3 a day. Um, th- this is kind of my anti-inflammatory starter pack, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fish oil three times a day. I'm at least 3,000 milligrams of fish oil. Okay. Yeah, that's a well, – we'll actually talk a little more about subs, but I want to ask a question just for the um, – Sometimes they're skeptics with melatonin because they hear that. And um, I guess the first question is, I have two. So the first one is, hypothetically, I don't know even know if this makes sense. Say someone's a high-charging, go-go-go individual. They're probably probably going to have a little more cortisol, especially if they pair that with excessive exercising. Um, would the melatonin, theoretically, maybe, off, maybe kind of help offset that high level of cortisol? I know you. Would, I, know, I know you would have to probably. You would have to measure it. Would be that. But I'm just thinking, yeah. like, if I'm just thinking in my head, since they're the yin and yang to each other. Yes. Right. Yes. I was about. I was about to use that that phrase. You beat me to it. I. I think theoretically, yes. Uh, a per, uh, a person who is, you know, an elite athlete like that, or pushing pushing the boundaries, uh, sort of of hormesis, if you will, and to pass that level, uh, would probably benefit from more repair during the dark phase, right? Really tapping back into our circadian rhythms, uh, because as humans, we tend to forget our rhythms. Uh, Okay. Yeah. That was just uh, me asking about myself. (laughs) That was just a slight way of me, of of, of curious, because I'm thinking about trying it myself, right? The second part is, I think people sometimes hear that taking this exogenous melatonin is then going to stop the production of your endogenous, right? I think that's one of the common myths out there. I, well, I think, I think that exogenous 
melatonin, meaning taking the supplement melatonin mm -hmm. will suppress any internal production. However, after puberty, we really don't make much. You think about a teenager. Have you ever tried to wake up a teenager in the morning? Terrible. I remember terrible. Uh, and school was so early, which they have to learn that our that teenagers are. <laughs> I made. I didn't know about health then, but I did know that this clock didn't make sense for us teenagers. Right. So I, even in my performance, going to basketball practice when it was early, the difference between an eight a.m. practice and a ten thirty a.m. practice was night and day. Yep. Teenagers. Uh, have a lot of melatonin production because the pineal gland secreting the melatonin is super active through puberty. After puberty, that's kind of one of the first glands that dries up. And, and in fact, being being a neurosurgeon, I've looked at thousands upon thousands of brain scans over, over my life. And some of those brain scans, uh, especially those from the emergency room, were CAT scans. And CAT scans show calcifications. And almost uniformly, anyone in adulthood has a calcified pineal gland. It's hard, it's a rock, it's not producing melatonin enough. So I'm not worried about melatonin supplementation after puberty. Hmm. Okay. So the next thing I'm thinking is, okay, so what if I, if I could combine maybe like a pineal gland bioregulator with the melatonin, then maybe I can start to get some of those youthful levels again. I, I love it. And this is the fun about biohacking is, you can play around with some bioregulator peptide. You can play mm -hmm. around with a little melatonin. You can tweak what's best for you because everyone's going to be different. Yes. And you can do one thing for a week and change it up the next week. And it's not that difficult. And you're not, it's going to be hard to hurt yourself doing it. So. Well, that's the good thing with the bioregulators. The, the word tells you what it does. It's a regulator. So unlike, it's not like the peptides. Where, where maybe you can go beyond a physiological level for a little bit. The bioregulators is either going to bring you up or it's going to bring you back down, depending on that whatever that um, one you're using. Right, 100%. So I'm curious about your, you mentioned supplements, and uh, we mentioned a few. Is there others that you're interested in or that you uh, use? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I lately I'm more interested in the mitochondrial uh, support. Um, you know, you really look at, where mitochondria may have come from and what they are and what happens to them and why, why, why is brown fat better than white fat? Cause it's rich in mitochondria, you know, and the more your longevity organs are based upon mitochondria, right? Muscles. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that if we take care of our mitochondria, we're taking care of ourselves and then we're taking care of ourselves. So I like, um, uh, NMN, I like, uh, spermidine and, uh, uh, a lot of the combos that, that uh, really get down to the supporting the mitochondria. And especially since mitochondria are the main source of oxidation, and we really need to make sure they're optimally healthy so we don't have too many oxidants. Because then oxidation is rusting. We don't want to rust faster than we should because then we're aging faster than we should. Yeah, and, and that probably goes, you know, once again, I guess I'll throw myself in here as well. If you're excessively exercising, um, that's creating even more oxidative damage. So then you probably have to double your, um, your recovery and regenerative protocols and to think about that. True. You, you use up, uh, those things, you use up those biomolecules faster, especially if you have more muscle mass and you're developing more muscle mass, right? You're, mm -hmm. you're metabolizing them faster. So you need to, you need to probably adjust accordingly. I like spermidine. I've been using spermidine uh, lately, and yeah. I've gotten a little bump in my deep sleep. 
and and um and so i think sometimes with some of those supplements people want to see something that they can physically know if it's working or not right when you even explain to them that like hey this is helping repair your dna and all this like oh okay that makes sense but i can't see that right so how do how do i know (laughs) right well i you know you can do some of these dna methylation tests Mm -hmm. Uh, i think the glycan age would be good even though it's not looking at dna yeah, because uh, you can make some lifestyle changes and or supplement changes or whatever. And a few months later, you should be able to see if there's an effect. I think HRV is another great way. Um, do you track your HRV, Julian? Yes, I do. And um, okay. for me, the um, I do a lot of endurance training now on top of just the strength training. But yeah, mouth taping has been a huge huge benefit for me and I, so I, I started to, I use mouth tape for probably the last two years, maybe a year and a half now. And that's, yeah. that's really, that's really helped me. And just, um, nasal breathing when I run and little things like that. So my HRV has had a, a bump up. It would be higher every morning if I go to sleep earlier. So I do know that the more hours I get of sleep before midnight, mm-hmm. the better everything is. Even if I get eight hours of sleep starting after midnight compared to beforehand, there's yeah. going to be a difference. And that's very interesting. Yeah, there was a recent study about longevity and sleep, and it found that the average, not everyone's the same, but the average uh, you know, benefit time was eight hours. Um, if you got less than that, uh, your longevity suffered. And if you got more than that, your longevity suffered. Mm-hmm. So um, it seems that there is a sweet spot. And, yeah. and you're, I, I don't, no, I didn't read the full paper to see if that had a difference of how much before midnight or whatever. But I, I think we're designed to go to sleep when it gets dark. And that changes in different seasons. Mm-hmm. Well, at least with me, I just feel like before midnight, I just get more deep sleep. So I, I don't remember if that's the case or not, that you get most of your deep sleep earlier in the night compared to REM or not. I don't remember that. But it just seems like the earlier I go to bed, the more deep sleep I get as opposed yeah. to not. Uh, I think that makes sense, uh, particularly if it's closer to your exercise time. So your your body is, you know, just like exhausted. It's released all these, you know, myokines, which are the muscle releases. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it's probably saying, OK, time to repair. Yeah. So so part of the last question, as we get ready to kind of wrap this up here, is I'm going to just do a few just random uh, rapid fire questions, just whatever comes to mind. Uh, just go with that. So the first one is, is, um, what does success mean to you? Well, success is, uh, setting, uh, a goals that, uh, you know, please your own brain that make that someone wants to do for oneself and, uh, hopefully for the good of others and accomplishing those, uh, knowing it was a challenge to get there before you start a new set of goals Mm -hmm. and continue your success. And if someone says, what are maybe one to five words that ultimately makes up your life philosophy, what would you say? Uh, I would say I never give up. Um, I think that goes with, uh, I think to be, to go through a neurosurgical residency, you learn that, Mm -hmm. uh, that there's nothing you can't overcome or uh, you can achieve what you want if you just don't give up. Very true. Because that's a... That's a very long time. That's 10 years or a little more. It was seven years after medical school. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I'm old enough that in my day, there were no hour restrictions. And, you know, it was uh, it was known that uh, 
there was a certain mental uh, abuse factor that went with it and uh, on a in addition to the physical abuse and if you're if you haven't slept in days and 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 the mental abuse feels even stronger so that's, it was that's, uh, that's wild it's almost like a version of special force training where you're just probably where you're just being sleep deprived <laughs> probably <laughs> yes so it, it, you know except the only thing is there with the special forces you have exercise to kind of i guess kind of ramp you ramp your nervous system up again and so i guess right. probably in the wards you're maybe relying on ca a little more caffeine probably yes <laughs> yeah so the um, if someone last question is if someone comes up to you at the cafe and they ask you what are one of three things that they can do to start creating a more fulfilling life while operating with more optimal health what would you tell them i would say you got to move exercise is number one it'll help prevent cognitive decline it'll help keep you younger uh, i would say number two um is don't eat uh in all the hours of the day you know concentrate your hours down from even if it's just from breakfast to dinner mm -hmm. um intermittent feeding i think is is important our body needs to go through that cycle of catabolism and anabolism meaning you know burning and building burning and building <laughs> and third uh, a multivitamin is not enough you have to take the right supplements because we're just not eating of the earth the the number of fruits and vegetables and lean meats that we should be um the 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 modern convenience diet is is horrible so make sure you supplement well and properly and uh, get some advice on that from someone who knows mm -hmm. absolutely and lastly where can listeners keep up with you at um well hopefully right here julian maybe you'll have me on again and we'll, we'll absolutely out. absolutely and, and like i said if you come to nashville uh hopefully by then i will be ready to start doing in-person things or we're just going to go to a restaurant and we will do a combination okay. of eating and having a podcast <clears throat> and and it's okay to celebrate so maybe we'll have a meal that's not exactly ideal for for our listeners but uh, <laughs> i i could i could always use the calories especially if it's especially if it's during one of my busy running seasons so i, I i'll okay. be fine perfect uh but but um our brand name for for the biohacking and the regenerative medicine and things we do is called recelebrate because we're celebrating the renewal of ourselves. So R-E-C-E-L-L-E-B-R-A-T-E. -E -E. That's our TikTok, our Instagram, our website. Just type in Recelebrate. All right. Sounds good. And I will have all that in, in the show notes. And to, lis to listeners out there, um, thank you again. Stay awesome. Be limitless. And as always, go be the CEO of your health and your life. Peace. <laughs>